Thank you again for being here today. It's an exciting time in the life of our church. You see all the construction that is nearing completion. We hope that by mid-October, everything will be done, including new parking areas. And uh, thank you for bearing with us uh, during this time of construction. It's also an exciting time because we're beginning a new series today on the parables of Jesus. His parables were this uh, special form of teaching that he often used. The word parable, as uh, is noted by theologian R.C. Sproul, comes from the, the prefix para, para, meaning alongside, and the Greek word balo, which means to cast or to throw. And uh, a parable was often told by Jesus to illustrate a truth, sometimes in the form of a story that was thrown alongside this truth to help uh, people get a clear glimpse of that. Now, today we look at the parable of the sower, one of the very best known of Jesus' parables. And just a little bit of background on this parable that uh, Amanda read for us just a moment ago. This is one of the few parables that is found in all three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If you're not familiar with the word synoptic, you'll probably come across it if you're ever reading a commentary or something like that. It actually means uh, taking a common view. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a great deal of similarity in their content, in their structure, in their perspective. All of the parables are found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The Gospel of John is quite different. The Gospel of John is built around seven miracles of Christ. We don't find parables there. In fact, one writer I read this week said 92% of the material in the Gospel of John is unique to the Gospel of John. So when you hear the word synoptic, it's talking about Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So those are the three Gospels we'll be looking at as we study the parables of Jesus. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that this particular parable is found in each of the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Because when a, a teaching of Jesus is found in another part of Scripture, we can often gain additional insight into that teaching by looking at it as it is presented in the other Gospels. For example, the passage that Amanda read this morning, Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower. He says, the sower sows the word. Well, what does he mean when he says the word? What does Jesus mean by the word? Is it just his teaching? Is it the Old Testament scriptures? Well, as we read the Gospel of Luke, we get slightly different wording. Luke Luke refers to the Word as the Word of God. Well, that gives us a little more insight because we know elsewhere in the New Testament, Jesus referred to, to Scripture as the Word of God. We get to the, uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew refers to the Word as the Word of the Kingdom. This is the message that Jesus is bringing. So we can gain additional insights by, by looking at the other Gospels where the same parable is found. That's the reason I pointed out. And this is one of the few, the parable of the sower, that's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, it seems to me 
that understanding this parable is in some way foundational to understanding the other parables of Jesus because of what Jesus says in Mark 4.13 to his followers, to his disciples. When his, his closer disciples are gathered around him for an explanation of the parable, he says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? I think understanding this parable is particularly significant because it guides us to the importance of not only hearing God's word, but accepting, understanding, embracing the truth of God's word. Jesus' audience in this parable, the parable of the sower, was a very large crowd of people. Uh, at the beginning of Mark, uh, again, we read, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him. And now Jesus uses a floating pulpit. He gets into a boat, sits on it, and the whole crowd is listening to him. Could you imagine what that might have been like? Imagine yourself sitting in that crowd, listening to this teacher, the one who has healed countless people of remarkable diseases, people who are blind, people who are lame. Now he's teaching. And there are so many hundreds of people, perhaps thousands, that he gets into a boat and goes out a little distance on the lake so his voice carries across the water. And you are sitting there listening to him as he's teaching. And he says, a sower went out to sow. And he begins to explain what happened to the types of seed. And as you're sitting there listening to Jesus, you recognize that some people are receptive. They're hanging on every word. Some people are distracted. They're disinterested. They're looking around. They're wondering what they're going to have for lunch that day. And some people are furious at this teacher who is challenging the religious establishment. A large crowd. And this is one of the few parables that Jesus explains to his followers. There are really two parts to what Amanda read a moment ago, the presentation to the large crowd and then the explanation to the smaller group. And the smaller group uh, is seen in Mark 4.10, when he was alone, those around him with the 12, so the 12 apostles or disciples, and the other interested folks, men and women, gathered with them, and he gave the explanation to them. So this is just a little background on this parable we call the parable of the sower. Now, if you're ever in Charlotte and you stop by the campus of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, it is worth uh, stepping inside the chapel for a moment and you'll see the mural that you see on the screen here. Uh, the picture on the screen doesn't really do it justice because the chapel there is a small chapel and it, it's a striking work of art because it's so large when you walk into the chapel. And as you look closely into this, you see different things happening with the, the seed, and uh, it is a, an artistic depiction of the parable of the sower. However, as we look at this work of art, the focus is obviously on the sower, who Jesus identifies in the Gospel of Matthew as the Son of Man his title for himself. But in fact, as Jesus gives the teaching, the emphasis in this parable is not on the sower, but upon the seed and upon the ground in which it is sown. 
Now, the seed is, Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Mark, the word. The sower sows the word. If we look to the Gospel of Luke, we would get a little more insight. In Luke, we have these words that the, the seed is the word of God. And then if we read this parable in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, we would read Matthew using the word of the kingdom. The word of the kingdom is the gospel that Jesus brings when he announces the coming the king of the kingdom of God, the good news of the gospel. So we see what the word is. The word is this message of God's truth that Jesus, the Son of God, is bringing as he announces the gospel, the coming of the kingdom of God. But it raises another question, and I think it's one of the most important questions we can consider as we study the parables. And that is the meaning of the word kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? We'll see terms used interchangeably in the parables. The kingdom, the kingdom of God. 34 times Matthew says, the kingdom of heaven. What is this kingdom? Was it when Jesus was on earth? Is it now? Is it yet future? And the answer is actually yes to all of those. At the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, we read these words. Now, after John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is directly connected with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to those around him, the kingdom of God is in your midst. But after Jesus had died and was raised from the dead and gone back to heaven, the apostle Paul said, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. And yet the kingdom is yet future. The book of Revelation says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Theologians talk about the kingdom of God being already and not yet. The kingdom of God is now, yes, where the presence of God is, where he's ruling and he's reigning. But we don't yet see the kingdom of God in all of its fullness as we will one day. Now, very important to say one thing about the kingdom of God. It must be entered. In this life, a person is not born physically into the kingdom of God. That is why Jesus said to Nicodemus in the Gospel of John chapter 3, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Well, Nicodemus didn't understand that. He said, how can a person enter his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus explained, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. A person enters the kingdom of God by embracing this message, the gospel of the kingdom. Embracing 
the work that Jesus did when he would give his life on the cross to pay our sin debt, to provide for the cleansing of our sin through putting our faith in him, the Holy Spirit enters our hearts, regenerating us, uniting us to Christ by the Holy Spirit, making us members of the kingdom of God. It must be entered. So the seed, the seed is the word of the kingdom of God, this announcement of the gospel that Jesus is bringing. As the parable unfolds, we also see teaching about the ground. The, the real focus of the parable is, is on the seed and on the ground on which it falls. The ground are the four different types of soil about which Jesus teaches in this parable represents the human heart. Now, how do we know that? Because nowhere was the word heart found in the Gospel of Mark. But if we look at the Gospel of Matthew, where Matthew gives us a little additional insight, we read these words. Jesus is explaining the parable. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. If we read the parable in the Gospel of Luke, we find these words. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. Luke goes on to say, as for that in good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart. So that's why I say the ground refers to the human heart. What Jesus is teaching us in this parable is about receptivity to the word of the gospel, the word of the kingdom, having hearts that receive his truth. And he now gives teaching about four different types of soil. We could think of it as four different heart conditions. The first is the path. That's the closed heart. Jesus said, these are the ones <clears throat> along the path where the word is sown and they hear. Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that's sown in them. Have you ever had a path in your yard and tried to grow seed? When I was growing up, our front yard, for some reason, was a neighborhood baseball field. Not our backyard, but our front yard. Perhaps because it was somewhat level. And I remember because I cut the grass for many years with a push mower, there was one spot where his home base no grass ever in all those years would grow. It was like clay. It was hard. It was like a, a path. And Jesus said the birds come and just devour the seed that's cast on that spot. This is the time of year when a lot of us are maybe we're, you're having your yard plugged, you're plugging your yard, or you're putting out seed. And every year in the fall, when this happens, and a lot of seed is put out, and I'm thinking all we need now is some nice rainfall. Before the rain comes, I'll look out in the yard, and there are flocks of birds out there eating up the seed. Sometimes a flock of big crows, and I'll bang on the window, and they'll fly away. This is what they do. You just know some of the seed is going to go to the birds. Jesus said, the hearts of some people are like this. The seed falls, but it never penetrates. There's no acceptance of the seed. The rocky ground might be called the shallow heart. 
Jesus says, these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Have you ever known anyone who seemed to become a Christian with tremendous enthusiasm, excitement, so much zeal that they make everybody else feel somewhat lesser. But after a couple months, it's as if it wears off and they fall away and you no more see them in the fellowship of God's people. I have known a few people like that over the years. Perhaps the message they received was just a shallow message, like come to Jesus and you'll get the life you've always wanted. You know, you'll get the best life. When Jesus actually says what's going to happen is that at some point tribulation and persecution is going to come and you're going to need to, to endure. But Jesus is telling us the hearts of some people are like that path and the word doesn't penetrate at all. The hearts of some are like rocky ground, very shallow. There's no root system developing. The third type of ground <clears throat> third type of ground is a thorn infested ground. This represents the divided or conflicted heart. Jesus says others are, are the ones sown among thorns. They're those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Now, these things not only keep some people from entering the kingdom, I think about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus in the Gospels, and he wanted to, to be Jesus' follower. He says, I'll follow you, and Jesus looks at him, and when Jesus looks at the man, Jesus somehow knows he has a great big idol, and it is his wealth. Jesus said, sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the man went away sad because he had great wealth. Wealth, riches, has the power to deceive. That's why Jesus refers to it as the deceitfulness of riches. But I find, particularly in this part of the parable, a warning to myself. I know I'm a Christian. I know I've received the word. I know I've been born again and am in God's kingdom. But this, this part of the parable causes me to examine my own heart to make sure that nothing is choking the word when I'm reading, reading it each day because there are certainly times when I've opened my Bible to read and there are cares of the world, worries, concerns, anxieties, things that have to be done so that I read the word but I don't really hear the word. This passage calls us to examine our hearts to be sure that the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of the other things are not choking out the fruit-bearing power of God's word in our lives. Finally, we get to the good ground. This is the receptive and hearing heart. Jesus said, those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word. And now, here's the key, and accept it. Hear the word and accept it. 
and bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. The seed of God's Word, the message of the kingdom of God, the message of the gospel of God, when received and accepted, results in fruit, varying degrees of fruit. The seed of the Word of God has power to bring about fruit when received in good ground, good heart, the receptive heart, the hearing heart. It raises then, I think, a question. And the question is how? How does Scripture call you and me to hear the Word of God and accept it? And to answer that question, I'd like to look back to the book of James. If you were with us the last couple months, we studied this uh, short letter written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. And throughout the book of James, we heard James echoing teachings of Jesus about the need to not only hear the word, but do the word. And in James chapter 1, James teaches us this about how to hear and accept the word. First of all, we should accept the message of the kingdom, the message of God's word with meekness or humility. James says, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. I think as Christians, we should always have a great attitude of reverence toward God's word. Scripture. When we hear it read, when we study it, we should come with an attitude that says, this is God's word. It is over my life. My wants, my desires, my opinions are subject to God's authority as expressed in his word. I don't come to God's word to change it. I come to God's word for his word to change me, to wash me, to correct me, to rebuke me when needed, to guide me, to teach me, to help me. I should come to God's word saying, not my will, but thy will be done. Secondly, James would say, come with the willingness to be doers of the word, not hearers only. This is a great key to having the Word of God produce fruit in our lives. We don't just come to it with a little bit of interest, desire to help us feel a little more peaceful or better about ourselves, but with the willingness to do what it says. And this is, I think, one reason this parable is so foundational because a key theme in Jesus' teaching is the importance of of not only hearing his words, but doing them. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus said, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. And the rains came, the floodwaters came, the wind blew, and the house was not shaken because it was built upon the rock. And again, being built on the rock is not just hearing. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. Elsewhere, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and I do what I say? But coming to God's word is a serious thing. 
we should come with reverent humility, submissiveness, and also the willingness to obey. As we reflect on this first parable that we're studying, I pray that we would be people whose hearts are good ground, receptive soil, people who come to God's word and not only hear it, but accept it with humility and do what it says. May God make us people like that. Let's pray about that this morning. Father, I have to confess to you, as I'm sure others do, that I've often not had the attitude of reverent humility before your word that I should. Sometimes the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things have been a hindrance to my hearing and doing your word. But we ask today that you make our hearts good ground, good soil, that you make our hearts receptive and teachable, that you give us such a desire to know you better and love you more and live as fruit-bearing members of your kingdom, that we would desire to have your word do its work in our lives in all fullness. Father, I especially pray for any here who may have heard the word but never really heard it. Perhaps have been in church, heard about the gospel, heard about the gospel of the kingdom, but have never truly turned and repented and embraced the salvation that Jesus provides. Would you open the eyes of the heart of that person today, Lord, that they might know you as the way and the truth and the life. And we ask these things in the great name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.